This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Lindsay Moreau speaks with Carol Cohn, founder of Carol Cohn On Purpose. Carol Cohn is the world's foremost expert on social purpose. Founder and CEO of Carol Cohn On Purpose, she pioneered the field, leading some of the most well-known purpose-driven programs, including American Heart Go Red for Women and the Reebok Human Rights Awards. We can thank Carol for shifting the question away from if a brand should engage in purpose-driven work to how brands can effectively engage in purpose. I've been working in the purpose space. I currently manage corporate partnerships at the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, collaborating with brands to create purpose-driven programs that support breast cancer research. So Carol, I've been following your work throughout my career. I've seen you at conferences like Engage for Good. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you today. Um, But what do you say, let's, why don't we just dive right in? Uh, let's do it. I'm thrilled to be here, Lindsay. Excellent. So when you started this work almost 40 years ago, did you think you'd still be at it today? Um, I think when I started it, it was uh, intuition about linking a company and um, social issues. And so at the time, it was so new. Um, I mean, really a pioneer, you know, busting through like a concrete wall. So um, it was more looking looking down and making sure that I did the right thing at the right time. I wasn't looking out decades ahead. I think what is so exciting, and I, and I here's my kind of my joke, is that um, when I started out, American Express was working on the Statue of Liberty Restoration Project, and I started working with Rockport on walking. And, you know, we could have had the conversation about social purpose, we could have had you know, maybe four or six of us at a dinner table. Now you're talking about conferences with thousands and thousands of people. And you're talking about companies and brands. So it's both organizations and brands, as well as not-for-profits, truly focusing on what is their purpose? How do they engage in a strategic way that's sustained over time? So as you said, this is no longer a nice-to-do, it's a have-to-do. And I wake up every single day just chomping at the bit um, I'm a horse person, but also I like that, you know, phrase to do what's the next thing. Who can we help? Because our purpose is to help your purpose, is to help your knowledge. And so for you to say you've been following my work for years and I've inspired you or helped you, that really warms my heart. And so I will continue to work until probably I'm 105 at least as long <laughs> as my health, you know, holds up. I love to hear that. But why don't we take a step back and tell us, you know, what led you to this work in the first place? What inspired you to link business and social purpose? Um, Basically, um, the Rockport Shoe Company came to us and um, they had seen um, a little bit of the work we had done prior to that. And they said, gee, this looks like a great marketing firm. And, And they came and they said, well, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but we want to be famous, basically. And we looked at their shoes, and they were um, a hybrid shoe. They were a a running shoe inner and a street shoe outer. They were way ahead of their time. And they were fairly not that attractive. 
And so we did traditional marketing. You know, we took them to editors. We tried to get stories about them, and nobody wanted to play. And so we were getting fairly frustrated, but then the CEO started talking about walking and that these shoes were great for walking. And so then we started doing some research. And long story short, in my gut, I said, let's give this company a meaning that goes beyond the physical shoe. Let's make them matter to people who might buy the shoe. And so let's give them meaning. And so we did a lot of work and it has to be authentic that, you know, in those days, we weren't talking about authenticity. It's just something that I felt what was real in the shoe and what was the need with a potential consumer. And we helped uh, position them as the walking shoe company. We had a fellow who walked around the country, 11,208 miles. I'll never forget it. He went to schools. He talked to kids and said, eat properly, don't smoke and walk. We did a film. We did a research study on him. Um, and we just added more content and content and content to prove that walking was great for health and great for fitness as well. Rockport became, they renamed themselves the walking shoe company. They grew exponentially. They grew from 20 million to about 150 million, um, sold to Reebok, and we launched at retail a billion dollar footwear category and gave America a brand new fitness activity that was scientifically validated. And then there's tons of walking shoes today. So that was the first one, and we just followed our gut. I love that. I think, you know, following the gut is so important in this space. Um, you know, but we've, we've seen a distinct lift in the purpose landscape over the past few years, thinking about Larry Fink's annual letters, the business roundtable statement, rising consumer expectations. You know, how has that changed the purpose field since your time in the, with, with, since your time with Rockport and how has that changed your work in this space? Well, what's wonderful when the financial community finally embraces purpose as business strategy, as a way to accelerate and ignite growth, as a way to inspire and to um, appeal to recruits, you know, young people such as yourself, who don't, you don't want to park your values at the door. You want to work with a company that has values or values in action. They're proving it every single day. And so, you know, the first 20 years, it was really lonely. Um, then the marketing world started doing some of this. We kept doing it deeper and more strategic, but it really took the last three or four years. I call it, you know, the zeitgeist shift. When Larry Fink came out with his letter, when the business roundtable came out with the declaration, when WEF last year talked about, you know, the role of an organization that must focus on its stakeholders, not just its shareholders. That was the shift that made purpose, or you might call it social purpose, legitimized. And now companies, you've got a lot of the earliest adopters, you're, you know, you're in a bell curve now. I think we're in the mass middle about companies truly. They talk about purpose, but they don't really know how to activate it or make it real. But the good news is the wind is swiftly and strongly at our back of anybody that believes that business can do good and also grow. It's no longer the soft stuff, it's the hard stuff, and it's important stuff. And it's more than stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the concept of, you know, being able to say that it's been legitimized. And, you know, we've seen a lot of, I know I was at a conference a couple of years ago that said, you know, 
cause marketing as we know it is is dead and that to me was like a a moment but then you know i realized what they really meant from that was wanting to build that authenticity wanting to build real impact and i think that's what has come out in the past few years as more and more people are seeing that it's not just a nice to do but something that is really meaningful and and moving away from that shareholder to stakeholder mentality yeah and you know it's funny cuz that was my line that was my <laughs> quote when I, when I went when I went to Edelman, so I, you know I was a cone of cone for for 29 years, and I'm the pioneer of the field. Uh, the BBC last year and Can called me the Purpose Queen. Love that. Um, some people call me, you know, the Purpose Pioneer, um, and then my younger colleagues call me the Purpose Badass. But <laughs> but but the point is is that I when I went to Edelman, I made that declaration crisply when we launched their global good purpose research. And I said, cause marketing as we know it is dead. And you're right. People went, <gasps> and, and look, there's a lot of terminology out there. And I think what's most important today is when, when anybody, wherever you're coming from, the for-profit side, the not-for-profit side, wherever, that you ask the questions about objectives first. Because terminology is everything from cause branding, which was a term we created in 1999, to shared value, Michael Porter. And Mark Kramer, you know, brilliant, brilliant um, individuals that, you know, that talked about how a company and its ecosystem can find shared alignment and build value. And then you've got purpose, you've got triple bottom line, CSR, et cetera. The most important thing is what's our objective? What are we trying to accomplish? With what audience? In what time? What's the outcome? And it doesn't matter the terminology because if you don't know your objectives, you're all going to be touching the elephant in a different place. 100% agree with you. I think, and I think it's so interesting right now, you know, I think as, as a country, we're in the midst of one of the most uncertain times in our history, protests are still taking place across the country, demanding police reform and an end to institutionalized racism. The pandemic has exposed numerous weaknesses and inequities in our society. So how are businesses reacting and responding to these issues today? And who do you think might be doing it well? Well, there, it's, it's interesting because there's both the pandemic. So the pandemic is showing how interrelated we are. It's also showing weaknesses in, in health disparities and social determinants of health. And then you have the riots. And the riots, when I was at Brandeis, we rioted. We struck. We now are, at the time, we had the war in Vietnam, and we also had the civil rights movement. So we had two, you know, of, of those horrible situations happening at the same time. And um, I didn't burn any buildings. I did take them over and I did march on Washington. So during the most recent social justice um, riots and Black Lives Matter, it really brought back to me why I do this work. So um, in terms of um, social inequity and race, I believe that as sustainability has become an absolute has to do in a company, and you have to look at, you know, your resource allocation, what you're doing well, what you're not, you know, all of the field, you know, what's your supply chain, upstream, downstream, uh, that sustainability is an absolute has to do. Now, racial equality, some people calling it diversity, equality, and inclusion, is a have to do. And it is encouraging as someone has been, you know, at the, at the beginning and fighting for justice to see that companies now, they're not just giving it lip service. 
that they are looking inside. They're looking at, at the quality of you know, the diversity, the, the way that their policies are, the way that people interact with each other, and then they're looking outside. And so, and the other shift that happened, whether it's the business roundtable or whether it's WEF or whether it's Larry Fink or others, is that companies are moving from talk to action. And so you ask who's doing it well. And there's a lot of companies doing it well. And I would suggest to your listeners that they should look at Just Capital. Just Capital is a not-for-profit that was um, created to truly find data and analyze against what the public wants companies to do as well as what are companies really doing and doing in terms of employees starting internally and then going externally. Just Capital has fabulous, fabulous information. Um, and they've got great newsletters. And um, they were created by Paul Tudor Jones, one of the top financiers on Wall Street. So this is his kind of passion project and give back. Um, and, and they're great folks. We work with them a lot in terms of uh, their great thought leadership. Who's doing it well? And, and they have lists of who's doing it well. So I want to start there. Um, mostly during the pandemic, not as much on social justice yet. But what caught my eye was um, two organizations. One was Procter and Gamble, and P and G. Um, I feel that you know, five years ago, Unilever is my Unilever is my favorite company writ large of what they do and what Paul Pullman did with that. And anybody listening, if you do not know the story of the of the um, Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, and you're in the purpose field, you have got to know it cold. And they've got videos. They've got uh, they've got their brands, all these great things. You know, listen to any podcast from Paul Pullman. I've already listened to three this year. I have worked directly with him. I've worked with Unilever. But P&G started really getting velocity about how are they going to tie in with their um, consumers and tie them back. In, and social justice and racial justice is one of their core insights that their consumers are demanding. And so you look at their ads because that is what is most visual. And they've got one called The Talk about a black mother talking to her daughters and her sons about being safe, just going out in daily life. A daughter learning how to drive the car and the mother is instructing her, this is what happens when you're pulled over. And a son is going to go to a drum lesson. And if he gets you know, stopped because he's got these drumsticks in his backpack. And so you've got The Talk. They did it in 2017. Then they did the look, and the look was about a black man and his son going through daily walks of life and how people gave them the look. What are you doing? And then ultimately, at the end of the spot, he comes out, and he's a judge, and he's revered by people because he's got his robes on, and that's the look. And then they recently did one called The Choice. Well, these are bone-chilling spots, but that's not just what P&G is doing because you might go, oh, it's just advertising. It's not just advertising. It's how they feel, their role in society. They have one of the largest, over $7 billion in advertising. And they feel they can take their voice in advertising and they can be provocative around key social issues. Um, you may know um, always and like a girl, and it's about confidence in a girl. That one's much more tame. Um, you know, they had their, their Gillette ads about the best a man can be. And about, you know, men being, men, you got to shape up, you know. But right now on race, it's real. And if you go on their website, they have all sorts of deep, deep resources that you can take and learn from. They also went deeper in their own policies. 
and they've got they've created new policies about who they are using behind the camera because it wasn't diverse, who they're pu they're putting in their ads, and they're also putting in their own benchmarks and in terms of diversity and equity and inclusion. So love PNG. Um, Netflix also did some amazing things where they committed a hundred million dollars to lenders. So they're taking a hundred million dollars of their money that they would put into the banking system, and they are saying this must serve the black community. And um, they started, uh, they created a name of this called the Black Economic Development Initiative, um, and they are really putting their money where their mouth is. Um, and, you know, in the future, they've announced plans to steer 2% of its cash on hand, about $5 billion to financial institutions that serve black communities. And again, walking the talk, finding a way to take their core competencies, their capabilities, or their supply chain, or their ecosystem, as P&G is doing, and really shifting how they act. It's about action, not just words. Yeah, that, those are incredible examples, and thank you so much for sharing those. I think from the P&G perspective, knowing that it's not just this, these really important, incredible advertisings, but they're really changing their internal policies, I think is, is fantastic to hear. And from Netflix, like you said, Money Talks, we definitely talk a lot about that at, at BARD and being able to transition where, where funding can go can really change mm -hmm. the direction of how we move forward. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting that we, you know, kind of touched on on social and, and racial issues. I think with, with Black Lives Matter, as we've talked about, you know, we're seeing businesses take a look internally at the makeup of their employee base and strengthening their diversity, equity, and inclusion, their DEI efforts. You know, how do you see that, um, the intersection of purpose and DEI relating to each other? Well, I think that if you look at, you know, what does a company stand for and ultimately what's shifted in terms of purpose and social purpose is a company's values and action, um, really living the values. And so, again, I see that the it's, it's a bit complex here, but the company, what does it stand for beyond making a profit and how does it engage with, you know, community and the environment and how does it show its humanity? That's the definition of purpose. I think DE&I is a key component of the company's values. And again, I said it's not something that sits on the side. It is something that must be integrated across how the company is, its operations, its culture. There's a lot, and I believe that, you know, um, in the purpose field, you know, we're all asking ourselves, you know, do we have unconscious bias in, you know, again, the words we choose, the photographs, the videos, our vendors, et cetera, et cetera. So they are interrelated. They're both extremely important. And again, I, my, my prediction is that as sustainability moves from something over in the sustainability department to being absolutely critical, integrated into the business, um, the business's life cycle, it's sourcing, that DE&I is going exactly in that same direction, but it's gonna go much faster. The riots, and the, you know, the killing of George Floyd that we all saw was so visceral to us and that, you know, social media also has just accelerated everything. Completely, completely agree with you. It's, it's, I hope it's a good acceleration and we can see that continue to change and have companies 
continue to look internally, continue to, to drive themselves towards having a more equitable employee base. Um, you know, speaking to that from, from an employee perspective, how can we, you know, hold companies and our companies accountable? How can we push them forward and all of us forward to a more, you know, just and equitable society? Well, I, I think that you, that one, you know, you've got who you work for, who you buy from, um, who you talk about, you know, everyone's got their own agency now. And so it, it's amazing. I get at least two or three calls a week about career changers or from young people who want to work in the purpose field. And they say, how do I do this? How do I get, you know, how do I get into an organization? So it's using your own abilities um, and it's, and it's appropriately. I mean, you have a range of actions. I mean, you can protest. You know, look at Google and look, you know, look at there's a lot of employee protests now. And the question is, if you feel comfortable and safe enough to do that, then go do it. If you don't, you know, this is oh, everybody's got their individual, um, uh, you know, in terms of equation. Am I going to risk my job? You know, how strong a voice should I have? So that's an individual decision. But, but who you buy from, um, we just did a major piece of research with Points of Light. And interestingly, Gen Z, the number one thing that they're doing in terms of the civic engagement, it's understanding what a company stands for before they buy products from it, which really shocked me. Um, you know, I've been talking about that for over 35 years, about after price and quality being equal, what a company stands for, its purpose is going to influence buying decisions. It is now becoming, we're seeing young people saying that they take lesser salaries, go work for a you know, socially responsible, purpose-driven company. So it's who you work for, who you buy from, how you use your voice, your advocacy, your fundraising, your donating, et cetera. Um, your civic engagement is diverse, and we just trust that young people today, especially the next generations, will truly act. They're going to walk their own talk. I love the who you buy from mentality. I think it's it's kind of always been out there, but we're seeing, like you said, more and more people really using that as a tool to to show their voice and what's important to them. And it's also galvanizing. I mean, it's really accelerating companies saying, oh, my God, what is our purpose? Or, you know, uh, we just uh, fielded a piece of research in the last year called the B2B purpose paradox. Because we, you know, Cone and all the iterations of my firm and all of the research we've done and the clients we've served, we accelerated the B2C, you know, consumer companies uh, getting engaged in social issues as part of their brand ethos. But now it's also going to the B2B world. And the reason that it is, it, it is totally infiltrating the B2B world is for recruiting. It is to attract and to, you know, really accelerate the potential of new employees and then keeping them when they come into the company truly, um, you know, enlivening their full potential. So this is no longer for B2C, it's B2B. And companies, again, are looking at this as not, not siloed, but integrated into their business strategy. That's what is so exciting today, among other things. Agreed. I think you know, from the B2B perspective, that recruiting angle is so interesting. I, it's not the first thing I would have thought of, um, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, I, it's, we've been doing the work again for so many decades, but I kept starting to hear the, someone talking to me from HR saying, you know, we had 
potential recruits coming in asking us about our social purpose. And this was years ago. And so, and the, the other, so I knew that this was coming because I just look for this. It's just my brain and it, it's my gut. But the other thing is um, employees uh, being the way to activate as a core stakeholder. So you've got recruiting, and then the cousin of that is, oh, my God, our most important stakeholder is our employee. And that is the, it was really one of the slowest um, eurekas that, that's been happening. I've been talking about employees being at the center, the epicenter of a company. That's truly their secret sauce. That's their differentiation for years. And, you know, social purpose was, oh, yeah, you know, we'll do that day of service. You know, oh, yeah, we're going to give you eight hours of paid time off. No, no, no. That is not the point. That is not the power. You want to power your employees to go forward to understand that they have agency, they have a voice, that when they, when they feel that way, they start innovating. They bring their full energy and potential to the job. I will tell you, one of the great companies that gets this for years in the B2B space is 3M. 3M for years. You know, right now they're talking about um, science applied to life, science applied to humanity. Um, they always had this, this policy of 15% of time for their employees to, to just tinker with anything. And that they could, be, you know, so that's how they developed so many thousands and thousands of new products. But they have taken that so much farther now. They have this tech forum where 10,000, 10,000 of their scientists and, and their um, technologists come together around new ideas. They have a, something called the sustainability value commitment, where every new product going forward, and they invent and release a 1,000 new products a year, will have sustainability attributes built in. They get it. And, you know, and companies, you know, Unilever, Paul Pullman said his, I think his proudest moment about the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan is they are the number one most sought after on LinkedIn employer in packaged goods in 50 countries around the globe. Wow. Employees. It's like employees, guys. It's about your employees. It's about unleashing their potential and getting the best and brightest to work for you, even if you are in a very, dare I say, not exciting technical field. That makes a lot of sense, right? That there's a great way to encourage people to come into a field that maybe isn't, you know, top of mind when you're when you're coming out of school and thinking about where you want to head. Um, but I love that, you know, keeping employees at the center of your values and using them as your guides of, of what purpose means to the company. And it's also interesting that the leadership of companies, I mean, Microsoft, look, Bill Gates was brilliant and so was Paul Allen, but they were technologists, really. If you look at Satya Nadella, I mean, first of all, he, he, he's, you know, he's Indian. He has uh, his child. He's got a differently able child. He is empathetic. He is compassionate. And he is a servant leader. And, he, and the best leaders today are servant leaders. They are there to serve their people. And instead of them being the most important guy or gal on the block, it's their people. And they constantly learn and, and look for ways to serve their people because their potential is unleashed. Yeah, Microsoft has totally reinvented themselves, and I am very, very proud because we got to work with them twice on their social purpose. We helped them create unlimited potential years and years and years ago. And then we came back when I was at Edelman. We created something called Youth Spark 
which help unite their B2B, B2C, and government sales units around helping to educate 900 million, 900 million youth around the globe with technical um, you know, understanding and skills. Extraordinary. It's a, it's a great, great case. It's got a great book. I'd say read his book. It's wonderful. I will make a note of that. That sounds amazing. I'd love to switch a little bit. And, you know, we spoke a little beforehand about sustainability and how that incorporates with purpose. Um, and as we think about today, you know, as we're seeing the effects of climate change and how that mm -hmm. definitely affects communities of color and low income communities around the world, you know, how are business leaders approaching sustainability and environmental justice into their purpose strategy? Uh, the good news is that there's a tremendous amount of innovation happening, and companies who are truly getting it, like I'll go back to Microsoft, are raising the bar even higher. And Microsoft, um, you know, they've, they've decided that they will be carbon negative by 2030, and companies are, you know, many companies are setting carbon negative goals. But then Microsoft went farther. And they say that they're going to remove their historical carbon since they began. I don't know how they're going to figure it out, but they'll figure it out. They're smart. By 2050. So they're going to be, in a way, carbon, you know, it's going to be positive in terms of their commitment and how they're engaging with, with climate. So I think that, um, you know, companies, the, the, because of President Trump's, you know, leaving the Paris, agreement that companies and governments, especially governors, are realizing they have to step up. And so you are just seeing a tremendous amount of innovation. In fact, Paul Pullman says that as to rebuild from the pandemic, we must have a green rebuilding. And he talks about, you know, trillions of dollars that are available for the innovation in all sorts of industries and products and services around climate. And while we're all focusing on the pandemic, you know, climate is, is equally a horrific social issue. I call it just, you know, putting it into a social issue that must be dealt with. And certainly, um, you know, injustice to poor communities um, some of the poorest communities are along the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, where, you know, um, a football field amount of land is disappearing every hour, every hour. And you have got um, small little communities that are just totally disappearing. And so, again, the impacts of climate are seen in so many ways. The great news is there are innovators. And again, the voices of youth that are saying this is unjust and we must deal with it today because we will not have a climate tomorrow. Exactly. I think that's something we we see with uh, Greta Thunberg and, and all of those amazing young people who have been stepping up to lead that conversation. Oh, Gre Greta, I'm glad you brought up Greta because, you know, <laughs> everybody asks you, like, who do you want to be? <laughs> Excuse me. I really want to be J.K. Rowling or Aaron Sorkin or Shonda Rhimes because they're great writers. But Greta is one of my heroines. And most recently, she was awarded, I think, a, a million-dollar prize 
for her mm-hmm. work, and she donated it. And she is just so cool. And the fact that she um, <clears throat> is partially on the spectrum of autism, it makes her laser focused on what she wants to do. She is extraordinary that she has taken her abilities and she has become such a guiding light for youth and for activism and for truly being authentic. Love her. Love her. I'd love to come, re, you know, reincarnated as Greta. I love her. I hear you. I feel the same way. You know, I was thinking as you mentioned that there's a real opportunity in the B2B space um, to expand purpose and how that could possibly integrate with sustainability, particularly from, you know, when we think about the supply chain perspective. Uh, so you're asking me, I'm, I'm, rephrase your question again. Sure. So as we were talking a little earlier about B2B and how you're seeing an increase in purpose kind of coming into that space, I was thinking about, you know, whether B2Bs would consider purpose looking more into their supply chains from a sustainability perspective and seeing both DSC and B2B come together around that space. Do you think that's something we'll see coming forward? Well, you're absolutely right about B2Bs are looking downstream to their supply chain. And, you know, you can see it in, for example, um, what's my example for for supply chain? Well, certainly Unilever is looking deep into their supply chain, Um, even if the product is is a consumer product. Um, I think that, you know, uh, let me just see, who is my favorite supply chain part? Well, certainly, you know, 3M, because, you know, most of their entire business is B2B. So who they're buying from, how, you know, what is this energy? A lot of it's energy resources, like what energy um, and companies are trying to move stronger and stronger into renewables and setting goals to ultimately be net zero and fossil fuels. And we have a client, I can't say their name, who's going to be leaning into that. And they're totally in the B2B space. So supply chain, where you source from, um, especially if it's, you know, there's a lot of um, materials that might be agricultural or they might be mineral and how, you know, even diamonds, you know, and diamonds for industry versus diamonds for consumers and how they're sourced. Um, or so there's many, many different ways that you can engage your partners, or you can just say, we're only going to buy from someone who is socially responsible in terms of how they treat their employees, how they treat their communities um, is, is critically important as well. We're seeing with our B2B clients, that they are looking to where their plants are located. And many, many B2B clients have plants, you know, they are the manufacturer in very small communities. And they are rising up to their responsibilities. GAF is one that we work with. They're the, the, they're the roofing company and they roof over 25% of our roofs with shingles and such, both for B2B and B2C and users. And they are, they've um, created this initiative called Community Matters, where they're going to communities and saying, how can we make a significant difference in this community because we are sourcing a significant amount of employees from this community, and we have a responsibility back to make it a vibrant and healthy community besides just giving a job. So that's another way that you're seeing B2Bs get engaged. Incredible. You know, I think shifting gears a bit before we wrap up, um, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners, myself included, who are 
interested in working in this purpose space. I know you've mentioned you have a lot of people reaching out to you, career switchers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your company, Carol Cohn, on purpose? Sure, and thank you for thank you for asking. Um, I have let's see, over about a, almost a 38, 40 year career, um, I've had so many young people come into my company. We've had over 200 interns. We've had executives start in, and now they've become presidents of organizations. My new org, my new company. So when I was the cone of cone, uh, we had over 115 people. And I sold the company in 1999 to Omnicom to get bigger. Um, it was an interesting uh, journey, but I like being more of an entrepreneur. So um, went to Edelman. I had 100 people in my uh, in my practice. But again, I like to be the visionary with people who join me in exceptional work. So I got to give a shout out because I brought back some of my favorite incredible people from Cone or some of them from Edelman. Talia Bosch, she's a Mensa, she's a genius. We've worked together, uh, this is our second tour. She's amazing, she's a partner. Christian um, Derrigan Miranda, she was um, at Cone, she was at Edelman, we've worked together, she's great. Um, Sam Shira, who I worked with at um, Edelman. Um, Andrea Helsack, who was um, at Edelman and at Cone. So a lot of people I've brought back we are small. My new model, bespoke teams are the agency and the consulting firm of the future. Um, we have eight people at the center now. We are, and we manage and do the senior strategy work for clients, but we're surrounded by, we have, I think, 42 firms now that I have recruited to be part of our collaborative, our coalition, and they have they're either geographically around the globe or they have very specific purpose capabilities. One is purpose in sport. Um, we've got three of them in video production. We have research. We have food capability. Um, we have foundations capability. We have digital capabilities. And we create bespoke teams so a client doesn't have to pay for 60 offices around the globe that they have nothing to do with. It is nimble, it is fast, it is smart, and it is people who are dedicated to advancing the purpose of companies in a highly strategic and compelling way. So that's Carol Cohn on purpose. We're constantly looking for talent. So, you know, not that we have lots of positions, but we're, we're growing slowly. I never want to have a firm as large as Cohn. I really want to be very flat, very engaged, and very committed. And I will tell you I'm working hard, harder now probably 70, 75 hours a week than I did when I started out um, because there's so much demand for purpose. Um, we are constantly not just doing great work, but we also, I'm continually committed to advancing the thought, leadership, the knowledge. My purpose, as I said, is to advance your purpose, no matter if you're a professional or you're a student or somewhere in between. So um, my passion project right now is our podcast called Purpose 360. We interview um, leaders in corporations, in uh, social enterprises, in not-for-profits, uh, publishers, writers, et cetera, really about their purpose. And we have done about 65 episodes. It is a graduate student course in purpose. So anybody who's listening, please, you can, you can cherry pick the ones you want to listen to. You can go to iTunes and Spotify, any place you find your, it's called Purpose 360. Listen to it. It is great. And if you have ideas for guests, let me know. Um, 
So we do that. We do a bi-weekly newsletter. Read it. It's curated. It's great. We do it with our colleagues. So that's another thing. I give lots of speeches. Uh, we do a lot of blog posts. I really want to up-level as fast as we can get into your incredible, your listeners' brains, as fast as they can absorb it, we want to push it out. There's many others also. There's lots of you know, people who have been at Cone. Oh, they learned, Lindsay, as you said, you've been inspired by our work. They're doing it in their own way. There's lots of additional research out there, um, and there's lots of great organizations to join. Um, if you're a corporate, you know, you can join perhaps CECP or Sustainable Brands. Um, there's, you know, great conferences like the Social Innovation Summit. There's just great content and information out there, but you've got to be a great student. No matter if you are working in a company, I read over two, three hours a day of information. You, you can't just take one alert in a newsfeed. You really got to be, you know, you got to be curious and cross-functional. But, you know, I love doing what I do. And we love collaborating and we love great ideas. And so um, I can't leave without, you were going to ask me, I know, about what's one of my favorite initiatives. Uh, Rockport and Walking was one of the great ones. American Heart Grow, Go Red, another great one. PNC Grow Up Great about early childhood. A half a billion dollars over 15 years. They have invested. We helped architect it with them, work with them for 15 years. But most recently is My Special Aflac Duck. It's a social robot that we created for Aflac to bring their $20 billion asset, their mascot, the big Aflac duck, that says Aflac, right? But they also donated $120 million plus to pediatric cancer, but they separated the two. And their leadership recognized that ESG, environmental, social, and governance, must all come together, and you can't have an asset sitting idle. So they asked us to come up with a, with a solution. We have a great network. You know, in my mind, my superhuman power is connection making and creating partnerships. We knew of a young man, Aaron Harwitz, who had a firm called Sproutel, who creates social robots for kids with diseases. And we went to him and said, we want to create one for Aflac. And he said, okay. And we presented it to the CEO of Aflac. Obviously, it took some more time than just an okay. And he said um, that uh, it was the best idea he had ever heard. And that, um, you know, Mr. Amos basically just said, do it. And we took a year of, of over hundreds and hundreds of hours and interviews with kids as young as three and parents and caregivers. What does a child need going through pediatric cancer? They built, Sproutel built this 11-inch high with three motors and four patents pending cute little duck that helps the child with their emotions, helps comfort the child, helps engage with the child. And Affleck, in their brilliance, decided that they would give these ducks away to any child newly diagnosed with pediatric cancer for the foreseeable future. And they funded the, the R&D, and they've given away over 8,000 ducks, kids, which is the most important thing. But it was also recognized it was a Technology for a Better World Award at CES. It was named one of the best products at CES. It was Time Magazine Best Invention, One Toucan Lion. South by Southwest, Technology People's Choice. It is one of the most compelling things I've ever done, but I want to do another duck tomorrow. You know, you never sit on your laurels if you are an innovator and you're an entrepreneur, and we just want to do more incredible, great ideas and purpose commitments because the world needs what purpose can provide if it's done authentically.
Yeah, Carol, I, I saw you at the 2018 Engage for Good talking about the AFLAC program. So I remember hearing about that and being so inspired. It's inspiring to see it in the arms of a child, a child so desperately ill. Um, and to have this one moment, children regain their agency when they, they lose all their agency when they're sick. But play gives them agency again. And that duck helps them to go to a place that is calming and is interactive and it's fun. And um, I knew from the moment that I had the idea, it was brilliant, but you had to find brilliant partners to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. And Sproutel was a great partner. And so was Nation of Artists who did our very emotive videos. And we just then, you know, had a great client partner that let us go places where they never thought they should go. They said, CES, are you crazy? And I went, nope, I'm smart as a fox. But I didn't tell them that. I just said, trust me. And we, we had the most, we had 2 billion, over 2 billion impressions in four days at CES. We had headlines that said, this could be the best product of any product. And you're talking Apple, well, Apple doesn't go there, but Samsung. And you've got all these incredible inventions and, you know, all these electronics. We were the number one sitting in our little 10 by 10 booth there. It was incredible. I'll never forget the experience. Gotta love those most memorable moments. There um, you go. But you gotta keep doing more tomorrow. Get better tomorrow. And because of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, we need to rebuild better. And that's why social purpose is so critical today when you look at it strategically, authentically, and over time. Nailed it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Carol. This is an incredible conversation. Well, thank you very much for doing it. And thank you for just being you and being authentic and being truthful. That's what we need today. Visit carolconeonpurpose.com to see more of Carol's work, insights, and services. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, September 4th. We'll be speaking with Alexa Blaine and Fernando Alvarado of Deacon Impact. For the complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BARD MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu slash MBA.